You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 99. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, scientist by day, writer by night. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. You can find more of my work at chrislaster.org and metamorecity.com. From time to time, this is also the place where I interview other authors about their own creative journey. I've had several such interviews recently, and over the coming months I'll be interspersing them between my fiction episodes. First up is Lauren Scribe-Harris, who I met up with in the virtual studio to discuss her new novel, Unleash. So let's get right into it. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. I am the author of the Metamore City Story Universe. So you can find out more about my stuff at chrislester.org, which has newly been revamped, and metamorecity.com. I am here in the virtual studio today with Lauren Scribe-Harris. Hello. Welcome back to the show, Lauren. Thanks for being on. Thank you. You were actually my first interview for chrislaster.org before The Raven and the Writing Desk yes. even existed. Oh my gosh. You were my my blog interviewee. Oh, was that for, gosh, was that for the Millroad Academy Exorcist stuff? I believe it probably was, yes. Although it was a general interview about writing and, uh, and process and all that stuff. Ah, I didn't realize I was the first. Oh. You were the first before we even were in voice. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cool. If you guys have not read that interview yet, it's still on my blog at chrislester.org. Go check it out. But we are here today to discuss Lauren's new book, which is dropping on May 23rd. It is called Unleash. And Lauren, can you tell us a bit about this book and how it came to be? Sure thing. Well, uh, Unleash is a contemporary fantasy. You might call it urban fantasy if you consider out in rural Mississippi urban. But, you know, contemporary fantasy, urban fantasy, a lot of people just consider them pretty much the same thing. So your mileage may vary. But it is about a young woman named Helena who grows up in a gang as an enslaved member of that gang. And at the beginning of the book, her mother is killed in a fight between the dark sorcerer who is their gang leader and the Sorcerer's Guild, which is a sort of magical cop situation. So they get kind of caught in the crossfire and her mother's killed. So Helena flees with a a book of magic spells, uh, a coveted book of magic spells, and heads to her mother's hometown trying to hide out and escape the life of violence that is all she's ever known. She's pursued by everybody and turns out that it's not the book she want, they want. It's this strange new power she has that she can barely control. And in the end, the people that take her in, she begins to learn to care for them. And um, when her master's bounty hunters and the Sorcerer's Guild catch up to her and her friends are under attack now or they're in danger, she has to make a choice whether to go back to enslavement with her master or join the sorcerers that killed her mother. Ooh, ooh, yeah, tough choice. That's a pretty tough one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of the, the what will she do moment there. But uh, the story nice. actually started out very different. It used to be called Hellhound. 
Well, when I initially wrote the story, the book was a much more heavy focus because I actually started it out based off of a writing prompt I was doing. So I had written my first novel a couple of times and I was getting some traction with agents and stuff and traditional publishing, but I wasn't getting past the revise and resubmit stage. So I thought what I needed was some extra guidance. So I actually went to Holly Lyle's website and went through her how to revise your novel program. And uh, in that, I learned a lot and I decided to start actually studying craft and, you know, madness. So (laughs) I, I found these writing prompts that she'd done. And I'm in general, not really a fan of writing prompts myself. They're not my thing. I have enough ideas. Ideas are not the problem. (laughs) But I ended up doing this because I thought, I'll give it a try and see how I like it. And the writing prompt had something to do with a book and two characters having a fight about this book. And from that sprang the main character, Helena. And I knew she wasn't going to be human. And she didn't want this other character to read the book because she wasn't human spoiler, not really a spoiler. It's in the first chapter. She has the ability to shape shift into an Irish wolfhound. Helena does. Helena does. It's not quite like natural shapeshifters or anything. It's something that was done to her by her master. So that it goes into that in the book, but it's sort of a shapeshifter story. And I played with that a lot more in the original because the original one took place at a college. I had her hiding out at a university because that's what you do, I guess. So the new, the original one was kind of new adult, I suppose. And uh, there were a lot of hijinks that no longer appear in Unleash because that the original book I completely scrapped. It was in third person. It had a second point of view and it, it was a hot mess. I didn't have the Sorcerer's Guild in it. What happened with that one and why I decided to expand it was... I had come home from Japan, it was 2010, and the reason I'd come home from Japan was to move to New York, and that fell through. Mm. And so I was stuck in rural North Carolina with no job. I was living in my parents' house, but they moved to Wisconsin for a couple of years, and I was very isolated. I was an hour and a half from anybody that I knew. And basically all I had was time to write. And it happened, it just so happened that I was doing this stuff in October, this revision stuff. And through a confluence of events on Halloween, I decided that the best way for me to work on my craft was to stop constantly revising the other novel and write a new one. And it just so happens that Halloween day is the day before what? NaNoWriMo beginning. So I went, I'm going to do NaNoWriMo. (laughs) And I plotted an entire book based on this writing prompt in a single day using note carding method. I didn't know anything about structure. I didn't know anything about like scene and sequel or stuff like that. I just went, oh, this note carding idea is cool. And so I basically just threw a whole bunch of note cards together, made a vague plot, and I completed NaNoWriMo that year. It was my first time doing NaNoWriMo. And by February, I finished the book. And it was my second book like the third complete novel I'd ever written or the third or fourth, because I'd rewritten my first book two or three times, but the second property that I finished. So it was actually kind of a big, and that was hellhound. That was hellhound. Yes. And uh, I still use the term hellhound, but for a different thing in unleash. So hellhound was the second book I finished. 
And it kind of showed me that, hey, I can actually finish something that isn't this one thing. I'm more than a one trick pony. I'm an actual author with a capital A. Hey. <laughs> I'm to call myself that after that. So why go back, throw out the manuscript for a completed story and then rewrite from scratch? Why not just go on and write a new book about something else? Oh, I did. So I had Hellhound. I tried to go through the revision process with it. And I thought, well, third person isn't serving this very well. It really needs to be first person. So I went in and started changing everything to first person, realized that my bad guy was absent for most of the book until like the last quarter of the book. So I was like, well, I need another bad guy. I need a more immediate bad guy. And so I came up with the sorcerers. And it got to the point where in order to revise this book, it's like the house that you get, that you buy because you're like, oh, it's a fixer upper. I'll tear it down to the bones and then fix it. I'll renovate it. And it ends up being that you have to bulldoze the lot. <laughs> that was basically what Hellhound was. There was so many flaws at the fundamental level that I decided I needed to trunk it. So I, I trunked it and chalked it up to a learning experience, which it was, and it was a very good one. But I had a couple of friends who had read it that loved the characters and that kept poking me and saying, you know, this is the most marketable thing you have. And the characters stuck with me. And I wrote the Mill Road Academy books. I wrote a book that is in beta reading right now called Song of the Heretic. And while I was letting those rest, I had a couple of ideas for different stories, but I had let this idea sit in my head and it had kind of sat in the mulch long enough that I realized I knew how to do the story, but it would be a new book. I couldn't use anything from what I'd had before. And so that's what I decided to do, to just write it like it was a new book. Because for all intents and purposes, it is a new book. It's so different. Actually, for my Patreon, some of the uh, people who are at a higher support level are going to get large chunks of the original draft of Hellhound to compare to Unleash um, <laughs> as, as one of my monthly things. So, so some people will get to see some of the awful <laughs> first stuff from Hellhound and how different it is. This reminds me of... Uh... Are you familiar with the science fiction writer, David Gerald? I have heard the name, but I've not read anything by him. He's the guy who did the, the screenplay for Star Trek Trouble with Tribbles, but he did a lot of the original Star Trek. And he had a series of... That's probably why own... I've heard of him and never read any of it, because I haven't seen Right. He has a, um, a series of his own novels, which were based off of stories that he wanted to do for Star Trek The Next Generation that were being censored. Ah. The political sensibilities of the time and the fact that they were trying to sell this in syndication to a fairly conservative market. Um, ah. So he had things like gay characters and themes about AIDS, you know, that were being dealt mm -hmm. with metaphorically. And so he ended up taking a lot of his, his scripts that he couldn't sell on next generation uh -huh. for his original characters. Mm -hmm. But there was um, the first book that he wrote with these characters was called star hunt. And that came out, I think in the what? 1980s or so late seventies or early eighties. And it was very rough, but then he basically took the same plot 
and wrote a new book called Voyage of the Star Wolf, which that I've heard of. Took the same, mm-hmm. He took the same characters from a completely different take on it, you know, just uh-huh. sort of backed up and started over again. <laughs> so you can see some of the themes and a lot of the plot elements are are still there if you know to compare them, but you don't have to have read Star Hunt in order to enjoy the new books. Yeah. And Maggie Stiefvater, who is a, a prominent fantasy YA author and fabulous, has talked about, she, she wrote a Prince Award book called The Scorpio Races, which involves Kelpies and stuff. And it was the Kelpie mythology that she liked. And she said she wrote like two or three books about Kelpies that have never seen the light of day that was circling around these ideas. And uh, I understand that as an author, I had a a lot of ideas from when I was a teenager that I still enjoy. And um, my first book, I still love that world. And uh, we'll probably redo it because I've revamped the idea in my head. It's sitting in the mulch right now too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll probably redo it, but you know, for now I'm forging ahead and doing new stuff too. And uh, constantly improving my craft. And I think that's really the draw, is that I want to see these stories done at the height of my craft, at the best they can be. Because ultimately, my goal as an author is share my stories to as many people as possible. Which is one of the reasons why I'm still pursuing traditional publication instead of independent publication. Because you do still get a pretty big boost with traditional publication in a way that is harder and requires a lot more work and front end money <laughs> on a, an independent level. Now is Unleash being published by a, a like a big publisher or is it self-published? No. Unleash is self-published. So I self-published the Mill Road Academy Exorcists novellas because they were novellas, right? I mean, that's not a big market right now. They're really hard to do independently unless they are a tie-in for an already published work mm-hmm. or unless you're doing like the tour novella series or something. So I learned how to self-publish. I thought that would be a good thing to have in my tool belt is the ability to self-publish. So I kind of, I learned to do it on those. And with Unleash, I'm experimenting with what happens when I throw money at marketing and start actually trying to market a book. I'm doing levels of experimentation with some of this. So, you know, I love the book and I want people to see it. I, there's a big piece of me in this book. I, the description makes it seem like there's a lot of action, a lot of gritty, kick-ass stuff, and there is. But there is a whole lot of emotion in it, too. I think I write very emotional books in general. I know nothing about that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you wouldn't know anything about that at all, would you, Greg? No, no, no. Burying your soul through your characters, what? 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 <laughs> so yeah, uh, Hellhound didn't quite reach that, but I managed it with Unleash. There were glimmers of it in Hellhound, and I think that might be why that particular story stuck with me, because the character and her her plight, I could feel what it could be in a way that for some of the other things that I've written in the past that have been trunked, I didn't feel. So with this particular story, I knew I wanted to redo it. This reminds me of something that Dan Sawyer was talking about on his Everyday Novelist podcast Mm -hmm. recently, where he said some stories we come to before we're ready for them. And some stories we come to too late. 
Mm. when, you know, it's like this could have been something, you know, when I was a younger person, when I had a different perspective, but now it doesn't grab me the same way that it, the idea did when I first, when I first thought it up. Right. Um, and some you hit right on. And sometimes it takes several tries. You, you'll find people who spend their lives as writers circling back around to the same themes because they there's something about that topic that they just haven't gotten out of themselves yet on their previous attempts. And yeah. so you know, they end up keep ret- they keep returning to it. I definitely think right now for me, the themes of like home and a found family and discovering your place and your tribe is some of the stuff that is still cycling around for me. I think the idea of home and what that means is always going to be there for me. We moved every two to three years when I was a kid. Uh, I'm not an army brat. I am a TV news brat. I am the daughter of an Uh. itinerant TV news worker and a compulsive furniture mover. So (laughs) (laughs) my mom's an interior designer and my dad is a TV news person. So we moved around every two to three years. Sometimes that was just uh, once we got to North Carolina when I was nine, that was often just between towns and cities. But, you know, then there was college and then I went to Japan and then I came back and ended up in a town that my parents grew up in, but I didn't. And, you know, moved back to Raleigh and went. So there were a lot of um, I, I've moved a lot. So I am I don't have roots so much in specific places. Like I know some people who grew up in one house their entire life. That blows my mind. I don't get it. The hardest thing for me, actually, it was weird. My um, my best friend's family, uh, I met her when I was 14 and their family kind of was the pack family. And everybody went over to her house. Her parents adopted all the friends and called them daughters and stuff like that. And um, last year they sold the house and moved And it was so weird because that had been the most constant place in my life. And we can't go back now. So it was really weird. And that whole thing just kind of, so I'm still getting these ripples of this. What, what does home mean? And does home mean a place? Does home mean people and all those feelings and those ideas. And that definitely is something that the character Helena from Unleash also struggles with. I think this is an area where you have really hit the cultural zeitgeist because there's a whole lot of millennials who've been displaced by the economic turmoil that hit right when we were entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. Even those of us like me who grew up in one house for most of our childhoods Mm -hmm ended up being scattered to the winds just in order to find work. There's a feeling of being untethered. There is. is, It's a feeling of being untethered. And it's also a... We English majors may call this deracination. Okay. (laughs) I don't know that one. Sorry, biology guy. (laughs) But but there's been a, a systematic weakening of the social systems that create feelings of stability in American culture. You can still find it in some places in small towns that are still organized around their church mm-hmm. or their union or the fraternal orders. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's increasingly rare. Right. And younger generation, you know, we don't have those connections to the society. Even those of us who are still 
religious practitioners may find that we are the the families that you know from the religion that we grew up with you mm-hmm. know for me i left the evangelical church i you know i no longer find anything that i can identify with in the kinds of churches that my parents mm-hmm. attended and so i had to find a new sense of community and so there is this uprooting process and i think you're seeing that across our entire generation mm-hmm. for sure I mean, I graduated in 2007 and moved abroad and was completely financially solvent across the world and doing and learning how to be an adult in another language. So, wow, that is that adulting was, on a level that I can barely even conceive. Of. I adulted like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> and then three years later, I came back and had to live with my parents because I couldn't get a job, even though I spoke a second language. And had three years experience of teaching English as a second language. I couldn't get a TESL job. Mm -hmm. They didn't exist. You would think they would exist in the South, but they don't. Because they're they're only through schools. And I don't have a teaching license. The teaching license that is required by the state of North Carolina. Right. So I could tutor, but that doesn't, there's no job in that. (laughs) Yeah. And also um, most of the people who need tutoring in English where I was in rural North Carolina were Hispanic and probably couldn't afford it at a level that would actually support me. So there was kind of a catch 22 there. I ended up stuffing envelopes through a temp agency for a while. So, you know, and it's, it's not for lack of education or lack of trying or lack of experience, or I mean, there's, there just weren't jobs. In it's it's really weird. We have an we have a highly educated, highly underemployed generation, and that underemployment is part of I think what is contributing to this this mobile culture. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that we have the internet now, so we have a ability mm-hmm. to stay connected to a tribe of choice wherever yeah. we are. Yeah, and that's I think the internet has it's it's made the world smaller. And it's made it easier in a lot of ways for people to move. Like my, my brother lives in Iowa now and my parents have tablets. They, they can FaceTime and I don't think they ever expected to be able to do that. And uh, I could stay connected with my parents through Skype while I was in Japan. So, but they can FaceTime with my niece and nephew. And so my niece and nephew know my parents, even though they've only been with them physically four times, five times. So it's, it's really interesting being able to establish the ideas of family and the, the members of your family and your tribe. For me, I mean, I have the girls that I grew up with that I'm still friends with. So I have that found family and I have the podcasting and writing community is my tribe, I feel like. So that is where I ended up finding my remote family, I suppose. And you decided to, in terms of paying the bills, you decided to sort of take the Abigail Hilton route where you, Medi- uh, medical. Mm-hmm. yeah, and, but I couldn't have, I, I couldn't have done that without being pushed a bit. I had a good job. It paid decently and it had benefits. That's a good job right now. There are tons of people that would kill for sixteen fifty an hour and benefits. Yep. And I am not downplaying that at all, but it was a phones job and I am an introvert and I am non-confrontational 
and it was a phone's job dealing with CPAs. Mm-hmm. Not all CPAs are bad people. Plenty of them are lovely. Oh yeah, I mean the but same. But they never call when they're happy. The same <laughs> and a lot of times they're dealing with their admins, bankers. and their I, admins I, I, are type A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I did um I did vendor service support for a for a title insurance company, and the you same know. can be said of mortgage bankers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I. I remember throwing down my headset one day and just going, nope, can't do it anymore. Typed up my letter of resignation, handed it in the next day and said, I'm out. (laughs) Quit with nothing lined up. Ended up working at an ice cream place and then having to move back in with my parents. Ended up then trying to make the writing thing work, but you know, no one can control that. And what does make the writing thing work mean anyway? Exactly. It, it takes forever to get traction, you know? So I had a couple of months where I could focus on that, which was nice. Cause I banged out the, um, a couple of short stories for the ministry. Uh, one that ended up in their anthology. So I got a pay, I got paid for that at a professional level. That was nice. I yeah. got the uh, Mill Road Academy book, the first one out, Exercising Aaron Wynn. Uh, so I started doing some stuff that was very helpful and went through a bit of a healing process at that point and started working at Starbucks and writing. <laughs> and uh, eventually my parents kind of were like, look, we're terrified because we're not going to be around forever. And we want to know that you are <laughs> taken care of. Please, dear God, get a job. <laughs> <laughs> do so, go back to school. <laughs> and so I ended up going back to school at a community college and getting a license to do cardiac ultrasound, which is what I'm doing now. And it is a good job in a way that the other job was not a good job. Nice. In nice. that it leaves me the time and the energy to write. And it doesn't interrupt what I'm doing every 10 seconds with a phone call by an angry person. <laughs> So that sounds like it's it's worked out well for you that uh, finding the right day job was better than quitting the day job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, finding the right day job was important to being able to support myself in general and being able to support myself while I work on making writing become a larger part of my general income, which is the hope. Writing and narration, actually, because I'm still doing narration. Right. And you're doing some awesome narration lately. Some of the stuff you've been doing for Abby has been fantastic. Thank you. And let's talk about that, uh, that Patreon and, you know, speaking of ways of making the writing pay. Right, right. I have a couple of friends who, um, one of my friends is, can't really read text stuff anymore. She has macular degeneration and um, has been surviving on audiobooks. And she keeps asking me to produce things in audio and she's like, can I give you money toward doing this? I will, I will let me patronize you. Let me give you lots of money to help do the audio thing because one, I love you and two, I wanted an audio. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it felt a little bit weird to just take money from someone. So my roommate actually said, well, why don't you do the Patreon thing? And so you're actually giving back some kind of value to people at large. And there may be more people who feel that way. Turns out there are. So I was able to launch my Patreon and, you know, it's still fledgling and, you know, I have 13 people, which is nothing to sneeze at. 
13 awesome people. Yay. Got to start somewhere. So I'm doing a uh, biweekly podcast of um, updates and on that I'll also run audio fiction. So I've, I'm currently running the first of the Mill Road Academy books on that feed. And uh, I'll be writing two short fiction pieces, whether that be a short story or a novella and producing that for the Patreon feed. And then probably doing something like what Abby does and aggregating those and publishing them at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. But people in my Patreon feed will get those as I do them. And uh, something like Unleash, they'll get the finished chapters as they come. And how are you setting up your reward structure? Because there seem to be like two basic categories of Patreon campaigns that I've noticed. One is the keep everything at pretty much a, a fairly flat level where you have sm- you're asking for small dollar donations and they don't really get anything extra for it. And the other is to have sort of a more complex tiered system where people at higher levels get more privileges. Uh, the second. So I have a $1 level and that one gets people access to the biweekly podcast that has updates and um, audiobooks and short stories when I'm producing them. I'll also probably be doing a monthly AMA live cast through that. At the $3 level, people get a monthly text or video update. And that one features behind the scenes things like uh, this time it's going to get like side by side comparisons of my line editing on Unleash and also like some look at my beta reader comments from that. And they get updates, like more in-depth updates on my works in progress. Like I'll be telling them what it's about and some stuff about the characters and the background and the process. And um, that one uh, will also have interviews with other authors. So some of those make, they may get some podcast updates that people at the $1 level don't. Um, And then um, at the $5 level, that one, they receive all of my new release eBooks, including all the short stories as eBook format. And um, their name goes on, my website under what I call Scribes Army. (laughs) So I have a whole page of people that are my supporters and people I kind of couldn't live without for my creative career and my personal life as well. So I have things like my roommate, my best friend, they're they're both generals in my army. And so (laughs) people at the $5 level, even if they only do the $5 level for one month, their names go on there. I have a $10 level, which is called the Privy Council. And at that one, uh, they get things like readings from my rough drafts of my works in progress, character sketches, and peeks at work, like uh, some of my old work uh, that has been in the drawer and probably isn't coming out of the drawer except for there. Um, I'll tell them things like why my Twitter handle is Mark's Master, and uh, they'll get MP3 or audible copies of all my audio stuff, all the new releases. And then the the highest level I expect to get any patrons on is the $25 level. That is the level where I'll actually send people stuff. So they'll get personalized signed copies of my new releases, um, postcards when I travel. I'm going to the Baltic Sea on the Writing Excuses cruise this year. So I'm going to be... And then after that, my, my roommate who's going with me, she and I are going around Europe after that. So people at that level will get postcards from all over Europe and places where I go to conventions. Um, they'll get uh, at Christmas time or around the holidays, 
um, handmade bookmarks done in acrylic ink. I like doing acrylic ink stuff. And then the occasional surprise thing, like a box of Pocky or a bag of hand-mixed coffee or something like that. There is one higher one that I don't expect to have any patrons on, which is a $100 one. You become a canon character in one of my books or short stories. <laughs> and you automatically rise to the rank of general in my army. Nice. Nice. So those are and- the, That's sort of the thing and uh, all patrons whose contribution over time reaches a hundred dollars will become generals in my army and uh if anybody ever manages to hit a thousand dollars over time they get to be a dragon (laughs) (laughs) so there is a a, i'm obviously doing that tiered level thing um and these uh updates are kind of they've been fun to do so far I'm enjoying the ease of not having to come up with my own RSS feed. Patreon mm-hmm. will do it with me. It will do it for me. So, uh, you know, the it's literally the podcasting easy button. It's <laughs> aside true. From, aside from like hiring somebody to do that where you just sit in a room and talk. It's the easiest way I've ever done podcasting. Now, you're also doing a free <laughs> podcast with uh, with Katie Brisky, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we start that back up, we've we've gotten uh, we've recorded a new episode and uh, just have to edit that. But uh, we have a podcast together called Words of a Feather, and uh, this is just Katie and I talking about our our journey, the writing journey. Um, both of us want to be traditionally published, so uh, there are a lot of podcasts out there by indie people because I think indie the indie the indie mindset is really good for people who like doing things like podcasts podcasts themselves are very are like they're an indie thing right so totally it, it goes to uh it, it follows that a lot of the people who are doing these podcasts are also into the diy culture of doing independent publishing and stuff like that um katie and i are more like we we're not turning our noses up at indie publishing we've both done it but both of us are pursuing traditional publication. She's sold a number of short stories to really great markets. And uh, both of us are in the querying trenches with various projects. So you'll get to hear about that. Uh, We'll probably have interviews with authors and stuff like that on there. And occasionally we'll have topics and sometimes we're just gonna shoot the breeze and moan about things. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got a cover reveal coming up for this book. I do. Tell us more about that. Well, the cover reveal is going to be on the 5th. Of? On the 5th of April. So in a couple... 2017. 2017. In a couple of days from when we're recording this right now. Sorry, I I should have done that date better. April 5th, 2017. My cover for Unleashed will be revealed. The uh, people in my Patreon feed have already gotten it, as have the people on my mailing list. So... If you're interested in seeing that cover a couple of days early, you can look at those. But uh, the cover is really awesome. It was done by Starla Hutchton, who is fantastic. It's super awesome. I already ordered posters from Vista Print, and I have a poster of it framed because it's so pretty. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like really, really cool. I'm so stoked with this cover. And I'm really happy because I'm doing all this marketing stuff right now where I'm going in and uh, like buying banners on um, different websites and stuff. And uh, 
and making little graphics like Twitter graphics and Facebook graphics and Instagram graphics and stuff using the cover. And I'm just like, yeah, every time I see it. So it's really, really cool. So the cover reveal and pre-order will both launch on the 5th. And the pre-order will be available both on Amazon and Kobo. Um, I'm going wide with this release. So every possible platform I can get it on, I'm going to get it on there. I'm using both draft to digital and smash words to try to cover a lot of those. And I'm going direct with um, Kobo and I'm going to see if I can go direct with iTunes though. I hear it's a pain. So I might get lazy and just use draft to digital for that. But um, I'm also doing a paperback copy through create space. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it will have awesome layout because I am shipping that over to T and Pip and paying them to do my, uh, all my layout and stuff. And there's um, a really cool magic circle motif that's on the cover. And Starla was kind enough to send me transparencies of those to decorate the inside, like chapter breaks and things like that. So there's going to be some really cool uh, pictorial stuff in hopefully both the ebook and the, uh, and the print versions of it. So I'm pretty stoked. So Unleash is out in the world. What are you working on next? My work in progress right now is a property called Witchblood. It is being done in tandem with one of my closest friends who is sort of my creative partner in crime. Um, We brainstorm a lot of our worlds and stories together. I'm just usually the one that writes them down. And uh, this story is a second world fantasy. So it's back. I'm back to epic fantasy, which is kind of my bread and butter. I know people are kind of getting used to my contemporary right now because it's what I've self-published, but I assure you my epic fantasy is my jam. So this is an epic fantasy. The first book is a journey story where a young woman is, is caught in a poverty stricken kingdom that is currently being invaded by another poverty stricken kingdom because their area has been cursed from an ancient war by a witch. And she thinks that the only way to repeal that curse is to go find herself a witch to do it and convince them to help. So that is the gist of the first book. And it's going to be probably a four book series. So very cool. High hopes for that one. Um, So where can people find your stuff? Well, they can find me at www.laurenbharris.com. That's the letter B. Or you can find my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Lauren B. Harris. My Twitter is MarksMaster, as is my Instagram. I'm not well branded on my social media. Uh, my, uh, my Facebook fan page, is, you can just search Lauren B. Harris fantasy author on Facebook. I'm pretty sure it's Facebook pages Lauren B. Harris, but don't quote me on that because I don't have my links all listed out beside me. Well, thank you so much for coming on The Raven and the Writing Desk, Lauren, and good luck with the book. Well, you are so welcome, and thank you for having me on. Uh, I look forward to being back with my next release and maybe talking to you and having an interview with you on one of my podcasts sometime soon. Fantastic. Let's do it. Awesome. And that was our interview. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in ordering a copy of Unleash for yourself, you'll find the link in the show notes. John Gregory Dunn said, Writing is a manual labor of the mind, a job like laying pipe. So, let's see how much pipe I've managed to lay this week. Here's your weekly writing report. 
I wrote 5,126 words this week over the course of 5.75 hours for an average writing speed of 891 words per hour. I wrote on five out of seven days this week. I measure my writing weeks from Saturday to Friday, so this week started with me finishing Fire in the Sky. I wrote nearly 2,000 words last Saturday in the space of about two hours, which makes it one of the most productive days of writing I've had in a while. And once I was done with that, I interviewed Paul Cooley about his new series, The Derelict Saga, and then recorded and produced episode 98 of this podcast. So, last Saturday was a very productive day for Liminal Corvid Press. On Sunday, I started working on a new story. The working title for this one is Operation Ibex, and it's another story from Artax's past. This one takes place in the 1870s, the period between the Great World Wars, when Liam was serving as an agent of the Ministry of Intelligence. The story is based on the Metamore City Live audio drama called Agent of Empire, which never aired on the podcast because I lost the recording. I'm fleshing out the story a lot, though, so I have a feeling that this one might turn out to be another short novel, something along the lines of The Three Graces. It's moving well so far, and I look forward to bringing it to you soon. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus. E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes, or become a monthly supporter at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. A few kind words or a few dollars, they both make a big difference. That's our show for this week. I'll be back next time with more fiction fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.